Uh, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Spirit Rock. Um, how many people are here for the first time today? Oh, fantastic. Excellent. Welcome. Welcome very much. Uh, my name is Mark. I'm the event coordinator for today. Uh, myself and along with all of our wonderful volunteers are here to help you. So if you have any questions, let us know. We all have name tags on. Uh, I just want to make a couple of quick announcements before we start. If you're here and registered for CEs or registering for CE, when you showed up at the front door, you should have been given a little green card that you would have turned in at the back table and been issued a survey and you would have signed in. So if you haven't done that so far, you're here for CEs, but you didn't either get a green card to turn to the table or you didn't visit the back table, uh, please do so now because we have to close the CE credits uh, in 15 minutes in order to be eligible for CE. Um, you may have noticed, if you haven't been here before, you wouldn't notice that when we had two trailers, we're doing some uh, uh, renovations, we're moving into a new staff and uh, building. So two trailers have disappeared in the meadow, and they used to have extra bathrooms that we would open up. So we do have two satellite restrooms available in the back, along with the restrooms in the foyer. So just letting you know, if you encounter a line at the restrooms today, you can go to the back of the building, and we have some uh, satellite restrooms available. Uh, and we also moved our picnic tables from the meadow area. There's some picnic tables and benches on this side of the building now. And you're feel free to use those for lunch or any breaks. You can also have your lunch inside the room. We'll keep the room available for you at lunchtime. Uh, our bookstore is having a sale. We're in the final days of the sale. It's 30% off today. Goes through the end of the month. That will include Mark Coleman's book and CDs, which are you can purchase at the back table with special pricing or in the bookstore. Mark also has an email list that you can sign up for at his book table in the back of this room. So we'll get started. Uh, Mark Coleman has practiced Buddhist meditation since 1984. He's one of our Spirit Rock Meditation teachers, and he's been doing insight meditation retreats since 1997. And we're thrilled to have him here today. Welcome, Mark. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Spirit Rock. Welcome to this day of practice. Very happy to be here. So, um, before I start, I'm just curious to know who's here. So it sounds like a lot of people are new to Spirit Rock. For how many people is this the f uh, your first day-long uh, day of practice, meditation practice, study? Okay, okay good chunk of you. And um, how many people are relatively new to mindfulness or don't know anything about mindfulness or relatively new to understanding what that is in the practice? Okay, great. Um, and I assume probably similar hands will go up if I ask uh, how many are um, new to Buddhist, Buddhism, Buddhist teachings? So, yeah, some, okay. There's 20 questions for you guys. <laughs> That's enough for now. Um, actually, why, why not, before we start, uh, another question for you, which is, uh, what brings you here? Like what, what brought you on this lovely late summer uh, weekend day to come and to hang out in a, in a very large trailer? Um, to study meditation and vipassana. Um, anybody like to say what was your in, in motivation for coming? What's what's your what's your hoping to understand or expectations? Or yes. 
you can pass the mic around if you want. Yeah, you've been meditating for a while. I don't know whether I'm, what I'm doing is um, as useful <laughs> as it could be. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good to kind of cover the, the basics and the foundations. Yeah, or to review. Yeah, great. What else? What brings you here today? Yes, at the front. Um, I, I was trained in transcendental meditation. You're trained in transcendental meditation, uh-huh. And I'm also taking your online Essential Buddhist Teachings course. Okay. So I was hoping to complement it and go a little bit deeper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So explore a little deeper the practice. So that I'm, I teach a, a year-long course called Essential Buddhist Teachings, which is just an overview of the uh, Buddhist teachings from this tradition's perspective. So, great. Yeah. What else? Yes. I saw a 60 Minutes episode, and they t- they were talking about mindfulness with ah. uh, John Kabat-Zinn. Yeah. So I Googled mindfulness in Marin, and I uh-huh. came up with Spirit Rock. <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> <laughs> How many other people saw that 60 Minute show on mindfulness? Yeah, there was, uh, wh- wh- who was the uh, guy? The, wasn't there focusing on one of those? Well, John Kabat-Zinn. Right. But wasn't there a news presenter? Oh, that yeah. um, what's his name from? Uh, An- uh, Anderson. Anderson, Anderson Cooper. Cooper. Right, right. He said he drank the Kool-Aid after doing that day long of or the retreat and was a total convert. Yeah. Him and him and Dan Harris are T V celebs. <laughs> yeah, what else? The lady there in the check. Um you mentioned Dan Harris because I was actually talking to a young friend of mine who what both of us were talking about our mind chatter. Mm. And she recommended Dan Harris's book to me, which I read. And then um, there was a great article in Newsweek about this special, this type of practice of meditation. And I just live in my head a lot about mm. my past. So mm. I'm just kind of hoping that this will be the beginning of moving forward out of that. Great. Place. Great. Anybody else live in their heads a lot? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Live in the past, live in the future. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is why we practice. Yeah, there's a lady there with a hand up. Hi, I'm here to um, find out if there's uh, the nuances and distinct differences between mindfulness and thinking and, and mm. how they interplay. Mm. Okay, the, the interplay of mindfulness and thinking. Yeah, good. We'll hopefully explore some of that. You'll certainly be mindful of a lot of thinking <laughs> today. <laughs> What happens when we meditate is we mostly see how much we think. Yeah. So good to understand that process. Yeah. Anything else? Yes, this uh, gentleman in the red shirt. Uh, I think I uh, first um, came across you uh, in the spring. Uh, there were online. Uh, you were doing uh, some meditations for British Airways, I believe. <laughs> were you flying when you saw them? No, I, no, no, I wasn't. I uh, actually just read something in the newspaper. All uh, right, in, this, in the very scathing I, article in the Chronicle, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, I actually really uh, thought they were wonderful, or I liked you. But then I brought it to two groups that I meditate with, and it became very controversial. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I don't know if you have come across that or not. Just a tad. You know that. Uh, <laughs> this is what the airline is doing. They'll give you meditation, but they won't give you a bigger seat or they uh, won't let you walk around, whatever. So. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I guess you've come across that. Just a little bit, yeah. So I was asked this earlier this year to film some uh, mindfulness meditations for British Airways for their the new uh, aircraft, the 380 Airbus, and um, as part of you know trying to give people uh, some access to resources to how to navigate flying with a little more presence, a little more you know skill. So I did three mindfulness videos, pre-flight, on board, and uh, disembarking. And, uh, yeah, interesting where you come across mindfulness these days at <laughs> 35,000 feet. <laughs> you know, so I take the view, um, you know, it's all planting seeds. And if it helps, great. If it doesn't, then go watch a bad movie, you know, on board. Um, or your fifth bad movie. Um, so... You know, the, these practices always have the capacity to help, right? wherever we are, even if it's way up in the fly, in the, in the air, dealing with turbulence and fear. And so, um, I have a spacious view of that. There's these, the, 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 there's a lot of integrity to this practice, and wherever they're taught, and I teach in all kinds of different places, that they have the potential to really transform people's lives. Yeah. Even even starting as benign as sitting on a uncomfortable, cramped, cattle class uh, seat on board British Airways. <laughs> so, good. Well, many re- reasons why you're here, sad and unspoken. So, I'm going to read a couple of things just to contextualize perhaps where we're here from a little more mm, poetic place. So legend, legend, legend has it that when the gods made the human race, they fell to arguing where to put the answers to life so that humans would have to search for them. One god said, let's put the answers on top of a mountain. They will never look for them there. No, said the answers, they will find them right away. Another god said, let's put them in the center of the earth. They will never look for them there. No, said the others, they'll find them right away. Then another spoke, let's put them at the bottom of the ocean. They will never look for them there. No, said the others, they'll find them right away. Silence fell. And after a while, another god, another wise god spoke, we can put the answers to life within them. They will never look for them there. (laughs) Ah, so, the others said, and so they did that. So, partly what we're doing here with awareness, with mindfulness, is turning within and looking to understand what what life is about, you know, who we are, what are we doing here, what is this mind, what is this thing called awareness, called thought that I seem to have no control over. To understand ourselves through introspection, through awareness, which we rarely take the time to do, right? We have such busy lives, any microsecond of space we're on our devices, yeah, we're losing even more so the capacity to introspect, to be with ourselves. And therefore, we don't get to know ourselves. We don't get to understand what's going on. There's a cartoon um, that was posted on the notice board of a retreat center on the East Coast. And it's called The History of Man. And there's three cartoons, three, three captions. The first one says, The History of Man. The second, the guy scratching his chin, What am I doing here? And the third caption, the end. <laughs> so we're in the middle. 
what am I doing here? What is this thing called life? What am I doing in my life? What's, you know, what does it mean to be human? You know, what is this heart? What is, you know, this is another perspective. This is from the author Jules Renard. She says, if I had my life to live over again, I would ask that nothing be changed, but that my eyes be opened wider. I would ask that nothing be changed, but that I, my eyes be opened wider. So we can think of, again, meditation, mindfulness, awareness as opening our eyes and seeing clearly, or sometimes seeing clearly for the first time, or seeing ourselves or certain things with a fresh perspective, what we call beginner's mind. And lastly, um, this is from uh, Humpty Dumpty, who's in the therapist's office, a little, you know, cracked and, you know, broken and as we might feel ourselves. And he said, and the therapist saying, now Humpty, we have to get you to the place where you can put yourself back together. <laughs> Not using all the kings and all the kings, man. So that's also what we're doing. We're learning how to uh, heal ourselves, learning how to be with ourselves, learning how to work with the places that we might feel broken, cracked open, and raw, or vulnerable, or confused. So many different ways these practices can help, can support. So this, this Daylong is called Vipassana 101. Vipassana uh, literally means to see clearly, seeing clearly. Right? So we use mindfulness in support of clarity, of understanding, of insight. So I've been practicing on this journey for probably 30 years now, I would say. I can't remember exactly, but a little more around that time. Um, Vipassana practice about the last 25 years and um, you know, came, as many of us do, to this path, confused, angry, um, and thought the problems were all out there. The government, society, the world, my bank balance, uh, my family, you know, you name it. I had a lot of reasons to place my anger and frustration and confusion. And what's radical about this practice is it, is it asks us not, not to turn away from the looking at the reality of the problems in the world, of which there are many, but to also understand what's, what's really the root of our own personal, psychological, emotional suffering is our own mind and heart. What's going on here uh, contributes so much to our either well-being or to our dis-ease. And so it was very radical for me to actually turn my attention inwards and, and look and like, oh, right, it's not just them out there. It's not just society out there. It's like what I bring to it and my own reactivity and my own biases and prejudices and reactivities and blindnesses. That's really also really needing to pay attention to because that's also so much cause for my distress. I was teaching uh, this, this class, the Essential Buddhist Teachings class, some years ago, and uh, there was a nurse here, had a very intense work, she's a psychiatric nurse who works with the homeless, so it's very intense, and she f was finding it very stressful, and 
not doing so well with it and not doing so well with her colleagues and was um, getting very bad performance reviews to the point where she was close to getting fired. And she came to this course as one way, one as, as a way of like, how can I help you know deal with this? How can I look to see what's going on in my in myself that I'm bringing to the problem to the to the work? And so she took this course. It's a three ten week semester course, and so this isn't a plug for the course, but you might think of it. It's not. Uh, she took the first ten week semester. Um, and at the end of the 10 weeks, so, so this was in September, by the end of the year, she had another performance review and they were like, what happened? What have you done? You seem very different. Less reactive, more aware, you're owning some of your stuff, more clear. Um, and by the end of the course, in the end of that year, she was getting really rave reviews, performance reviews. So something about the practice of mindfulness, of awareness, of insight, of clarity, helped her really understand herself more and what she was bringing and how she was, you know, partly causing so much strife. So it, it's also very practical and really can transform our relationships, transform how we are in the world. So the essence of Vipassana practice is mindfulness. And as you know, as you've been hearing, mindfulness is getting uh, uh, a little vogue these days, you know, from British Airways to CNN, Dan Harris, to front cover of Time magazine, to, um, you know, it's at the, you know, Davos, you know, World Economic Forum conference. It's, you know, it's, you know, the, I'm teaching it at Google. I mean, it's kind of everywhere, you know, most places. So I want to explore what mindfulness is since it's the, the foundation of Vipassana practice. This is from the Buddha, who, um, from which this practice is sourced. He says, there is one way that leads to the purification of beings, to the overcoming of sorrow and regret, to the ending of suffering and discontent, that leads to realizing freedom and peace, namely the four foundations of mindfulness, these four domains of mindfulness of, uh, of our body, of our uh, mind, of our nature, understanding who we are, these, these, these very essential aspects of our experience, understanding our body, our heart, our mind, and how all of that operates. What does it mean to be human? So we'll look at that today. We'll look at how we apply, we'll, we'll look at what is mindfulness, we'll look at how to cultivate and practice this quality through meditation, through various practices. We'll look at how that awareness applies to understanding and insight, and specifically around certain things that we're looking into that will help relieve our discontent, our dissatisfaction, our stress, and that supports our well-being, our happiness. Does anybody want to be happy here? Does anybody want to be peaceful? Does anybody not want to be peaceful? <laughs> So why aren't we? <laughs> why aren't we peaceful? Why aren't we happy? I, I imagine most, if not everybody here, has their physical needs taken care of. Clothing, food, safety for the most part. Mm -hmm. right, so our basic needs are taken care of. So what is it interfering 
with you finding peace right now. Like, w- right now, what is interfering with contentment, with ease, with well-being, with happiness? Right? If you don't look to the past, if you don't look to your mind, if you don't look to your problems, right, what's getting in the way? It's a really important question. If we want to be happy, and we want to be peaceful, and it's not available or not available much of the time, then what's up? (laughs) What's going on? That's really why the Buddha taught. What's interfering with well-being, with true happiness? Why is that seemingly so unavailable? So we'll get to explore that. You'll get to explore that for yourself. Really important questions. Often we go through life so busy with school, with work, with raising kids, with trying to make enough money, with whatever else we're involved with, that we rarely take time to pause to look at that essential question. Who am I? How do I operate? How do I function? How do I support or interfere with my own happiness and well-being? So Buddhism is really that. So Thich Nhat Hanh, a great Vietnamese teacher, put it this way. He says, Buddhism is simply a way to live well. Happiness is available. Please help yourself. And it's really like that. And Buddhism's not, it's not a faith-based religion. It's very pragmatic. Here's a roadmap of life. Here's what seems to mostly co- contribute towards stress, suffering, attachment, fear, etc. negative mind states. Here's what seems to support well-being, happiness, release, ease, peace. Take your pick. <laughs> it's up to you. Of course, it's not as easy as just taking a pick. I mean, we have to you know, work with why we orient towards these reactive, negative tendencies and why we, what interferes with us living, <laughs> orienting towards that which uh, allows access to peace. And that's why we practice, to understand. So mindfulness, this quality of mindfulness. What is mindfulness? Anybody like to say what is mindfulness? So half you, yes, please. Uh, Hmm. That definition sounds like you got it from somewhere. (laughs) 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 So there's a well-known definition from John Kabat-Zinn, who is really a pioneer of mindfulness. Mindfulness is the awareness that comes from paying attention in the present moment without judgment on purpose. Yes, very good. <laughs> what else? Paying attention and living in the moment without being judgmental, without uh-huh. judgment. Yep, so a non judgmental attention mm-hmm, in the present moment. Mm-hmm. So anything else aside from John Kabat Zinn's definition? <laughs> Yes. Loving awareness. Loving awareness. Yeah. So awareness that's imbued with heartfulness. Yes. Uh huh. 
Nice. Yeah. Anything else? Yes. Uh huh. So eyes wide open. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Eyes wide open. Mm hmm. Yeah. yeah. These, these are all flavors of mindfulness. It's one of those qualities that, that um, uh, eludes uh, def- defining. You know, there are many definitions. John's one, and, um, but it has many, many facets. And so we'll be exploring experientially what that is for ourselves. This capacity to be aware. It's, it's a clarity of awareness. The ability to know what's happening in the present without reactivity, without bias, without overlay of our thinking and preferences, judgments. It's a connected attention. It's an intimate attention with moment-to-moment experience. And the function of mindfulness, and the function of this clarity of awareness, is what? What does this awareness do? Or what does it serve? It's always a good question. It's not an end in itself. We're not just becoming you know, mindful people as an end in itself, even though it's not a bad thing to be mindful. It's a good thing to be mindful but it's in service of understanding, it's in service of clarity, it's in service of self-awareness, it's in service of knowing the causes of pain and the causes of happiness. We're we're cultivating that awareness so we become clear how to live well, how to live wisely through self-understanding, through seeing how various things like when we you know, dwell, as, as the lady was saying, as we dwell, as we're lost in the past, as we consumed in our thoughts, as we get swept up in our reactivity, seeing how much that perpetuates our own discontent. You know? And one key piece with, with mindfulness, th- in the way that it helps disengage from reactive patterns, is it creates a certain spaciousness. So we're not so blindly caught up in our knee-jerk reactivity. Like the time that someone sends you an email that's really annoying or hurtful or uh, aggravating, and you find yourself without even thinking, you're just chomping on those keys, and you hit send, and you go, shit. (laughs) Where's the undo button? (laughs) Which Google Gmail has, you should know about that. Um, it's 15 seconds now you get to hit undo. You know. Um, you know, how many times have we said something or we emailed something or gesticulated something that we re- regret because we were caught up in our reactivity? Yeah. Mindfulness is supporting us to find ways to hold and accommodate our experience so we're not just consumed in our reactions. It's a lovely line from Viktor Frankl who says, between stimulus and response, between that annoying email, that crazy driver who cuts us off on the freeway, our partner who says something mean, between stimulus and response, there's a space. 
between in that space lies our capacity and our freedom to choose our response theoretically <laughs> in our response lies our growth and happiness right? without awareness there's no space With no space there's no room to choose we just react with reacting we cause pain right? it's that simple So there's um, a few interesting similes the Buddha used for mindfulness that I quite like that point to its multifaceted nature. One is, um, it's like a surgeon's probe where we have this very fine, close attention, kind of like this thing. It's very detailed, very fine attention to experience. It's also, he said, it's like standing on top of a watchtower, like a tall <coughs> building and having that, surveying the, 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 the purview of the field, right? We're, so there's a more global awareness, right? So awareness is like a, uh, uh, like a telescope or a lens and a camera that can be micro-focused or it can be really uh, macro. You know? Mindfulness is also, he said, a gatekeeper. It's a gatekeeper to the mind, to the heart, where we're tracking for what's causing well-being and what's causing pain yeah? and learning to know the difference and learning to let go of one and cultivate the other. And my favorite image is, he said, it's like a cow herder watching uh, their cows. So so Buddha was in rural India at the time, as it still is, um, uh, young uh, children tending the, the small herd of cows, mostly so they don't stray onto the farmer's crops, so they have to be very vigilant but they can't be vigilant all day because it'd be exhausting. So they, so he says, it's like a person who's sitting relaxed in the shade with their back against a tree, watching the cows with alertness. Right? It's a beautiful metaphor. So we're relaxed, but we're alert and responsive right? when, we, when necessary. We're not like this all the time. I'm being mindful, I'm being mindful, I'm being mindful, I'm watching, watching, watching. No, you can be relaxed and be present and responding when appropriate. So mindfulness supports an appropriate response to the moment because we're aware, because we're present, because we're non-reactive. So, I'd like to share with you the good news. (laughs) The good news is that the the essence of mindfulness is awareness. Awareness is the nature of your mind. We all have awareness. Otherwise, you wouldn't have arrived here. You would have crashed your car. You would have walked into a lamppost. You would have put your breakfast in your ear and fallen down the stairs, right? We all have a modicum of awareness. And mindfulness is cultivating or refining, developing that capacity of awareness, you could say. So I want to do a short demonstration of that for you. So we're going to do a practice. Don't, don't change your posture. Stay right where you are. And accept, just relax a little. Whatever you're doing, just see if you can just relax a little. Don't, change any, don't need to move your posture unless you need that sports relaxation. And the instruction for this, we'll do this practice for a minute. 
the instruction is to not be mindful, to not be aware, to not pay attention, to not notice anything. Okay? And stay relaxed. And just see what you notice. That was a bell, for those of you not noticing anything. (coughs) But you heard the bell, right? Does anybody not hear the bell? You weren't trying to be aware, you weren't trying to be mindful. Bell gets struck, and oh, sound. Hearing, knowing, labeling, understanding must must be an end to the meditation. All that happening quite naturally. So what did you notice? Did it, in that, was anybody successful in not noticing anything? I don't see any hands going up. So what does that tell us? That's one way of not being aware. Although we often, you know, there's, we could say that we, even awareness is in sleep because we wake up and we say we had a good sleep or a bad sleep. We, we seem to know. Something is tracking that. But that's another story. So aside from falling asleep, and nobody succeeded, yes? My body and my brain wanted to move around. Your body and brain wanted to move around, right. So it's noticing body and brain, movement, agitation. What else do you notice? Yes? I noticed that it was quieter inside than usual. Ah. So the noticing that you were quieter than normal and, yeah. So that's often the case. Often people, often people, this is their people's best meditation of the day is when I tell them not to be mindful <laughs> and not to practice and not make any effort, right? Which is instructive in itself, right? What is that? What about that? If I'm not trying to be mindful, I'm just relaxing and I'm more present than normal, what does that say about that? Did someone have had yes? Just how easy it was to go s- straight back into the list of mm. what needs yes. to get done and to feel my body getting very tense actually as I yeah. dropped into that. Yeah. Just non thinking, but right. straight into the list. Yeah, so straight back into the mind. But it sounds like you were noticing that you were thinking. Mm-hmm. You were noticing that you were back in the list, to do list, you know. Right. So this is a key distinction. There's thinking and then there's mindfulness being mindful that we're thinking. So 
just to relieve you of your stress around that exercise, it's impossible <laughs> not to be aware. Right? Awareness is, in, if you're alive, there's awareness. If you're dead, who knows? But um, this is the good news in that if mindfulness is the cultivation of awareness, and awareness is always available, then we could all go home. <laughs> You're done, class dismissed. Just be aware, because it's already here. It's already happening. But there's awareness, and then there's the conscious knowing of experience. Right? So most of the time, we're not so conscious. We're aware, but we're not conscious that we're aware. We're walking down the street, so we're aware that we're walking down the street, because otherwise we trip over. Something is aware. Right? The, the brain that tracks automatic activity right, is aware of, of, of motion. But we're not conscious necessarily that we're walking, because we're thinking about where we're going. We're worrying about our children, or whatever. Right? So mindfulness is is exercising that muscle that allows us to consciously know what's happening. Yeah. Right. I imagine many of you drove here this morning. Many, many people drove here, lots of you. Right. How many of you could recount what happened? How many of you were consciously aware the whole time of what you were doing? You're probably listening to the radio, on your phone, texting maybe. Um, I'm going to Spirit Rock to be mindful. I'll see you later. Uh, <laughs> um, right. So, th- how how often are we actually present to what it is that we're doing? It's actually quite a small percentage. Sad to say. So we're practicing to learn how to be more in the present moment. To be present to what's happening. Whether we like it or not, want it or not, can we be present for it? So we can, because without that baseline, we're, we just, we're lost. Right? How can we know ourselves if we're not here? How can we understand what causes well-being and happiness if we're not here? So that's partly what we'll do today, is, is we're training. We're training our attention to be here, and not up in the coconut up here. You know, it's mostly where we live is eyebrows upwards, prefrontal cortex, thinking, planning, remembering, reminiscing, analyzing, problem solving, etc. Right? So, which is you know, very necessary and useful, an amazing function of the mind that we can envision and plan and you know, build skyscrapers and all the things that we do, write novels and poetry. And we've forgotten how to just be here. So the first practice we'll do this morning is really just an arriving practice. It's so there are many different ways we can apply mindfulness. The first practice will be um, cultivating of attention, cultivating sustained continuity of attention. Like learning how to just keep bringing the attention back and back 
and bank because it wanders and wanders and wanders. It's like training a little puppy. Anybody trained a puppy? It doesn't like to sit. (laughs) It's like a little young Labrador puppy sniffing and excited and, you know, tail wagging and sit, you know, does that for like a millisecond and then, oh, but there's another shiny thing over there. Oh, what about that smell? That's like our mind. And, you know, unless we have some kind of training vehicle in our life, we probably have a very undisciplined, untrained mind. Because especially with, with the more that we use technology and devices that, that happily entice our mind in many different directions, then we, we, we live with a scattered, or what, what the sociologists call, we live in constant partial attention. I'm listening to you, but I'm also, if I'm on the phone, I'm checking my email. Yeah? Or I'm driving, but I'm listening to the radio. Or I'm eating my food, but I'm reading the paper. Right? Constant split attention. And there's more and more research coming out that that multitasking, we're not as good as we like to think we are. Yeah? We don't retain things if we're, if we're you know, doing something we're trying to study. It doesn't it doesn't retain we don't we not we don't have access to the same problem solving and creativity if we're uh, multitasking it takes our brain a, you know 17 seconds to recover each time we check you know what's happening on eBay to our you know our bid uh, when we're trying to work on a document right? we go off and we check the weather comes back takes 17 seconds for the brain to fully come back online that's a lot of time if you're checking your you know, the weather a hundred times a day or whatever, you like to do stock options or whatever. Okay. So, do we need a break before we practice? No. Okay, let's, we'll, we'll practice together. So, um, I'll say a couple more things and then we'll, I'll t- say a little about posture. So, so this first practice is we're learning, is cultivating this quality of, of samatha, which is a collecting, gathering this scattered uh, mind into a more one-pointed, unified place. Right? We're not we're not concentrating with the forehead brow. We're we're inviting through relaxation our attention to center here. Okay. Doing that with a kind attention, patient attention. So, in terms of um, posture, uh, you're welcome to sit in chairs. We have a lot. Of, we have some cushions up there. If you want to sit on the floor, there's plenty of space in the front here. Um, and if uh, and if we can get some windows open in here, so if the volunteers could open some windows before we uh, do our practice. So, if you're sitting on a chair, you want to sit as upright as you can. Often we tend to get a little sleepy when we sit. So the more upright, the more energized we'll be in the practice. Try not to totally slouch back on the chair. Have your feet on the floor, hands on your legs or in your lap. Spine relatively upright. So there's a sense of groundedness and uprightness. And also a sense of relaxation and a sense of opening in the 
torso, chest area. And first we just bring mindfulness, this awareness to our body. Be aware of our posture. Be aware of how it feels to be sitting in this moment, here, this morning. So closing your eyes, if that doesn't feel comfortable, lowering your gaze, having a soft gaze. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.